Okay, gang, take your Bible and open it to the first book in your New Testament. Your Bible is divided into Old Testament, Old Covenant, and New Testament, New Covenant. The 39 books of the Old Covenant begin with Genesis, end with Malachi. The 27 books of the New Covenant begin with Matthew and end with Revelation. What a lot of people don't realize is between those two covenants were 400 years of silence from God. 400 years without prophecy. 400 years without a prophet. 400 years without any written or recorded revelation from God. God was silent until Bethlehem, until Christmas. There's something magical about Christmas, and to me, it's in the things that are unseen. What makes Christmas special to me are all the things that are invisible. All the things that you might not see at first glance. All the things that don't come clearly into focus quickly. When I was a kid, my parents were experts at making Christmas happen unaware. And what I mean by that is, they were very good at putting together Christmas, as at making Christmas happen without us knowing. They were excellent hiders of presents, my parents were. I mean, I've gone to bed as a 10-year-old on Christmas Eve and woke up to find a minibike in the living room. That's impressive. I've gone to bed at eight years old on Christmas Eve and woke up to find a trampoline in the backyard. That's Santa's work. I've gone to bed as a teenager on Christmas Eve and woke up the next morning to see a brand new slide down into our pool and a diving board on the other end. Who can do that but Santa? When I was a child, we drove five and a half hours to Miami. That's where my grandparents retired. They lived in Miami. And I'll never forget, I was about nine, and you're debating whether or not Santa Claus is real at that stage in your life. Oh, but I knew he was real after going to Grandma's for Christmas. Because we're five and a half hours from home in central Florida where we lived, and somehow when I woke up on Christmas morning, there it was under the tree. The exact chromed out mongoose dirt bike that I had picked out in Tampa. Now, who can do that but Santa? There is no way my parents put that bike in our station wagon and carried it to grandma's house with me in the back seat. There's no way that happened. When you're nine and ten years old and you're debating the reality of Santa and his el elves, it, it has a, it does, it's a great help to have parents who know how to keep secrets, know how to put Christmas on unaware. In fact, I was married and almost finished college before I finally realized Santa Claus is made up. The magic of Christmas is the secret to Christmas to me. When you don't see it coming, that's what makes the surprise all the greater. Here's what might surprise you. You might not know that every person in the Christmas story, every person involved in the nativity, from Mary to Joseph to the shepherds who heard the announcement from the angelic choir, to the wise men who majestically traveled from the Far East, every person in the Christmas story was unaware 
that they were part of God's plan. They didn't see it coming. We have the benefit of centuries of history. We have the preserved revelation of God. We can look back and make all the pieces fit together. It makes perfect sense to us. But they were living ordinary lives in ordinary circumstances. And they had no idea that they were part of God's eternal story. Something much greater was unfolding. But they didn't know it. They didn't see it, at least not at first. But as they continued to respond, then often God revealed something that was previously unseen, and that's what made all the difference in the world. You see, I think we can relate to this, because very, very often in our lives, we are presented with two, not necessarily appealing, options. Our circumstance, our path, our plan, our situation has left us with Two options, and frankly, we don't really like either one of them. However, if we're patient, if we're faithful, if we listen and respond, often God reveals something previously unseen, and that's what makes all of the difference. There are many reasons, I think, that people consider Christmas to be the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas is extraordinary. That means it's outside of the ordinary. The things that we see related to Christmas, well, they make it beautiful. But the things that we don't see, that's what makes Christmas magical. For instance, I'd eaten my grandmother's fudge a hundred times in my life. But when she came to our home and she filled the house with the smell of that homemade fudge and we ate it and it was Christmas, there was something special about it. There's something special about a family getting together who hasn't seen one another in a long time. We may communicate with aunts and uncles and grandparents. There may be brothers who communicate quite often. But when you get together and you're in someone's home and the men get up early and granddad and two or three generations all go hunting together and the wives, the ladies, they all get together and they run to town and they do some shopping for Christmas. There's something truly magical about it. I can remember, as a little boy, lying in the family room floor, paging through that glorious Sears Christmas wish book. Now, I only say that for the young people in the audience today who have no idea what I'm talking about. I feel sorry for you that you missed out on this thick, glossy-paged, full-color Christmas Sears wish book. I mean, full of toys. Over half the thing was toys. And what you do when you're nine or when you're 12, you lay on the floor and you make your list. Dear Santa, I want a G.I. Joe with Kung Fu Grip, page 158, item C. Dear Santa, I want his Jeep, the G.I. Joe Jeep, page 159, item K. Oh, and don't leave out the fully submersible G.I. Joe submarine, page 160, item A. It's a beautiful time of year, a magical time of year. You write your letters to Santa Claus. You get involved in a Christmas play at school. Families, the, Christmas is the time of year when families take photographs. We'll do it tonight. You come tonight, you wear your pajamas. Your whole family wears your pajamas. We'll take your picture and we'll put it on our Christmas tree. When we were children in Florida, it might be 80 
four degrees on Christmas Sunday, but we were going to take a Christmas photo, I can promise you. And we usually had to wear Christmas sweaters and corduroys. 85 degrees outside, but the picture, according to my mom, had to look Christmassy. Hence the corduroys and the Christmas sweaters. It's the magic of Christmas. Everywhere you go at Christmas, music is programmed into your life. Joyful music. Triumphant music. Happy music. It's everywhere you go. There's something magical about it. Because if you play some of those same songs in June, it doesn't feel the same, does it? Play some of those same songs in March, it's just out of place. All of it's beautiful. But it's even more exciting when it's magical. Now, I'm no fool and I need to be transparent. I know that for all of you, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year. I know for some of you, Christmas might be the worst time of the year. You see, often there's a healthy dose of darkness behind all the Christmas light Stands for disillusionment, frustration, loss, anger. Some of you are going to have your first Christmas in a few days without your mom, without your dad. And it's going to be difficult. For some of you, Christmas is a time to, to remember. It's kind of a bitter reminder of what you've lost or who you've lost. It's a reminder of of the way things used to be when they truly were special. This might be the, the very first dual Christmas for your family because your marriage has disintegrated. And so you've got to work out the kids' time with dad and kids' time with mom, and parents kind of get cold and bitter toward one another. They start competing for their child's affection with video games and cell phones and Visa cards. While our Christmas hopes and wishes often tell one story, we buy the perfect Christmas card, we send the perfect Christmas electronic message, the reality tells something totally different. There's darkness behind the light. There is sorrow beneath the, the good cheer. That's what makes the coming of Jesus and the Christmas story and the birth of a Savior so necessary and timely. Because you may not realize it, that's been the case all along. That's been the case since the very beginning of Christmas. In fact, if you know the Christmas narrative, the very first Christmas juxtaposed joy on one side, it was the birth of a baby, with frustration and disillusionment and darkness on the other. The very first Christmas held simultaneously glad tidings on one hand and suffering, even death. On the other hand, you see, the first century lives that these people led were hard. They were difficult. They were not easy. They were ordinary. They were not extraordinary. That much is certain. The first century lives they lived, in some ways, are not unlike the lives that we live. We've got flashes of light, beauty, magic, Christmas cheer, but there's also the darkness, the frustration, the anxiety, and the broken dreams. You see, when Jesus was about to be born in Bethlehem, you know what Joseph was thinking about? He was thinking about his future with the mother of Jesus. He was thinking about his honeymoon 
He was thinking about their wedding. At that moment, the moment of the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 1, Joseph knew very little about his future with his fiancée. He knew nothing about the child she was carrying, but that was all about to change. Now, at this time of year, from someone like me, quite often we pay a lot of attention to Mary, and rightly so, we should. The mother of the Savior. We talk about wise men, and again, the shepherds who heard the announcement from the angelic choir, but I've chosen to focus on Joseph, because there was plenty of darkness in Joseph's Christmas. This was not how things were supposed to be for Joseph. This is not how he planned his honeymoon, engagement, and marriage to Mary. Like many of you, this very first Christmas could have easily become a cruel reminder of broken dreams, of disillusionment. At least that's how Joseph saw it at first. Now, if you've read Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 1, he delivers the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 1, in verse 16, Matthew refers to Joseph not as the father of Jesus, but as the husband of Mary. Now, there's a reason he did this. It's a logical miracle, the incarnation, deity, and virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You see, according to Romans chapter 5, any savior of mankind that could overcome the curse against Adam could not be of Adam. For it is the seed of man that transfers the sin nature that is alive and well in humanity. So any savior of broken humanity must be sinless, must not possess a sin nature, so therefore Joseph could not be his father. But if you've read the genealogy, and you've also read Luke's genealogy from Luke chapter 3, one thing that becomes clear almost immediately is they're not the same. Wait a minute. We're talking about two different lists of relatives. That's because Matthew's genealogy goes back through Joseph, Mary's husband, all the way to Abraham, and Luke's genealogy goes back through Mary all the way to Adam. Hebrew marriage in this culture was governed by the Torah, the books of the law in your Old Testament, as well as the customs and traditions that surrounded that law. The people in Joseph's day were very cerebral about marriage. They were very cerebral about matters of morality. Truth and law, morality, was not debatable in their culture the way it is in ours today. There were no excuses for sin or immorality in Joseph's day. The marriages typically were arranged by the families. You'd take two 14-year-olds, let's say, and your family would get together with their family, and we'd pledge our children. We'd arrange the marriage. A bargaining of sorts would take place. I will give my daughter to your son in marriage if you'll give me 10% of your land and 20% of your livestock. No, 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 no. 5% of my land and 10% of my livestock. You might turn it around. I'll allow my son to marry your daughter, and you'd make an arrangement. The bargaining would continue. When the bargaining was settled, a big announcement was made. And from the moment that announcement was made, in this culture, those two teenagers, 14 or 15, were betrothed. Now, in Jewish custom, that was just as good as being married. In fact, it was just like they were married, except they didn't live together, except they were not intimate. 
Grooms still live with mom and dad. Brides still live with mom and dad. But for all other practical purposes, following that announcement, they were married. So for a period of one year, they're engaged. And during that engagement period, there are only two ways out of it. Somebody could die or you could actually get a divorce. Even as an engaged couple, if you found out your spouse had been unfaithful, a man could divorce her And if he wanted to drive a real hard line, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 and 24, he could have her stoned. Can you imagine? Marriage was big in this culture. It was holy in this culture. It was revered in this culture, far more so than it is in our culture today. At the end of that year of betrothal, that year of engagement, It was time to get married, to make it official. They threw a grand party, a grand celebration that lasted a week or so. In fact, if you recall, Jesus' first recorded public miracle was turning water into wine at a what? At a wedding. Because a party was going on for five, six days long. And at some point they ran out of wine and Mary, the mother of Jesus, said, Jesus, do something. And so he did. It was this kind of party. The announcement is made, a period of one year engaged, and now a grand celebration. At the end of the week's celebration, the groom goes to the house of the bride, puts her on his arm, and walks her to their new home. It's from that tradition that we get our tradition of a father walking a daughter down the aisle. We just put a twist on it. The father walks the daughter down the aisle to the groom in this day, The groom walked to the house of the father and escorted the daughter to their new home. Honorable and holy. These are the two words you need to think about when thinking about Jewish marriage in the first culture. Now, with all of that in mind, read with me Matthew chapter 1, beginning of verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Now, I remind you, two verses earlier... When delivering the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew breaks from tradition and doesn't call Joseph the father of Jesus, but the husband of Mary. Now he's about to give us more information. He's about to explain that move. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they could come together, he was, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Holy mackerel. During this period of betrothal, during this one-year period of engagement, Mary turns up pregnant. Now, after everything I told you about marriage in the first century, just imagine the stigma. 500 times greater, I'm certain, than it could ever be today. Mary is found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Now, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, your translation might read, was a righteous man. Simply put, Joseph was a good guy. He was solid. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to just divorce her quietly. I mean, after all, those are his only two options. I can either divorce her quietly, I'm not going to take a hard line on this because I love Mary, or I can go ahead and marry her And live with the shame. Live with the suspicion. Am I ever going to be able to trust this woman? Are we ever going to be able to unload the guilt, the shame, 
the suspicion that is cast upon our marriage by our community. Those were his only two options. But wait, we're not finished. I can tell you this, if I were in Joseph's shoes, I would be some kind of mad at God. Because this is not how I planned my future. This is not what I expected of my engagement and the beginning a new life in a marriage. Joseph, let me be very clear, had fought the good fight with Mary. Joseph had kept it to himself, if you know what I mean. Joseph had taken more cold showers during that year than he'd like to talk about. Now, as one who did it too, I was a virgin when I got married. The only reason I share this is for all the young people in the audience to let you know it can be done. Let me tell you something. When you exercise that kind of self-discipline and that kind of sacrifice, you expect something from God. You expect God to do something good for you. God's supposed to give you the kind of blessing on your marriage that he doesn't just give anybody else because you work so hard. That had to be how Joseph was feeling. That had to be what was going through his mind. I'll bet you when Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, he didn't pray for a long time. You don't want to pray situations like that. Why pray? Look how things are turning out. He could only see two options. I'll divorce her quietly because I do have feelings for her. I don't want to embarrass her. I, 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 I don't want to harm her. Or I'll just, I'll just go ahead and marry her. We'll make the best of it. We'll deal with the shame in the community. That kind of disillusionment is big, church. Those are broken dreams. And again, he only had two options until he saw something previously unseen. And here it is. I'll put it on screen. I'll put it in the program. It's the big unseen point. There's often another option that we've not yet considered. There's often another option out there just as viable, just as realistic. We just haven't seen it yet. Or if we have seen it, we just don't think we can do it. Or we don't think it'll ever happen. There is often another option that we've not yet considered. And how we respond when things don't work out according to our plans has everything to do with our focus. What are you looking for? What matters to you? What's important to you often determines whether or not you ever get a glimpse of that previously unseen third option. Somehow you got to figure out a way to see the joy through the darkness. That's when you get a glimpse of the unseen option. Watch. That's what happened to Joseph. Look at verse 20. But after he considered this, considered what? His only two options. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Matthew emphasizes the supernatural events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ by highlighting five different visions, dreams, and angels associated with the story. The first is here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. Joseph has a vision, a dream from an angel. The second is in chapter 2 in verse 12, when the angel told the wise men, don't go back to Herod. Herod's a madman and wants to kill baby Jesus. The next one is in chapter 2, verse 13, when a vision tells Mary and Joseph, you got to leave because Herod's after you. Go to Egypt. Then verse 19, Herod's dead so you can return to Israel. And then in verse 22, I want you to move to Galilee. So again, verse 20. 
The Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. That's the third option. That's the third option previously unseen. Let me highlight two words. Number one is the word afraid. Don't be afraid, Joseph. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking if you go ahead and marry Mary, 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 if you go ahead and marry Mary, you're going to be unhappy the rest of your life. You're going to be disappointed, suspicious, don't think you could ever trust her. The word is afraid. Don't be afraid. There's a third option. You can marry her and not deal with the suspicious storm you think is coming, the shame storm you think is coming. You don't have to divorce her. You don't have to marry her and be unhappy. You can marry her and not be afraid. Because watch. Take her to be your wife. Key word, wife. In the original language in which Matthew wrote, Matthew chapter 1, that word means pure. It means virgin. It means a wife just like any other who'd gone through the process, did things right. So, so follow me. Joseph, there's a third option. You haven't seen it yet. You don't have to be afraid to go ahead and marry her because she's pure. You don't have to be afraid of the shame storm that's coming because I've got a surprise. Keep reading. Take Mary to be your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. That is the New Testament equivalent to Joshua in the Old Testament, which means salvation. Joshua, the Lord is salvation, Old Testament. Yeshua, Jesus, salvation in the New Testament. Just like Joshua led God's people to the promised land, Jesus would forgive God's people of their sin. Give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The prophet was Isaiah, by the way. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a 700-year-old prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, by the way. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. And he took Mary home to be his wife, to be his bride, to be his pure virgin. That's what the word means. Verse 23, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, I just want you to think about this and I'll quit. Just put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. He only has two options. I can divorce her quietly or I can marry her and just try to outlast the shame storm that's coming. He had this crazy explanation from an angel, but could he, could he buy it? He had this crazy dream, but was it real? Did God actually speak to him? You know that was going through his mind. That's what goes through our minds. Is God trying to tell me something? Is that what that passage really means? Is that how I should apply that to my circumstance? Is God trying to send me a message? That's the way Joseph felt. Only two options. But there was a yet third, undiscovered, previously unseen option. He just had to wait for it. If you'd asked him to smile at that moment, hey, smile for the Christmas picture, he'd have kind of done the best he could. But underneath that Smile would have been disillusionment, frustration, heartache. That is until he went along with God's previously unseen option. 
You see, that's what unseen options do. That's what an unseen option is. How many times in your life has patience and self-control relieved a previously unseen, previously unknown option? How many times? Sometimes it's just a waiting game. You see, I know some of you, and your marriage is suffering. And you can only see one of two options. Well, I can divorce him. I can kick him to the curb. I can leave her, let her go home to mom. And then all the heartache and the pain and suffering that brings on my family. Or we can just stick it out and be miserable for the rest of our lives. Wait, there's a third option. Some of you wrestle and struggle financially. Month to month, you just don't make enough money to pay for the kind of lifestyle you want to give your family. So in your mind, there are only two options. Well, I need a better job. I got to make more money. I got to work more overtime. Or I got to borrow more money. I got to keep digging the hole a little deeper. Church, there's a third option. Oh, I know the third option. You're going to tell me to live within my means, to stop overspending, but I don't think we can do that. Hmm? Yes, you can. There's a third option. I'm thinking of some of you who, as you've aged, your body's changed. I was talking with a gentleman this morning in the first service, and we were reminiscing about what it felt like to be 30 and how different 40 felt from 30. And how different 50 felt from 40. And it's not getting any better. The pain and the fatigue that's associated with aging. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I've only got two options. I can get on the doctor bandwagon and start chasing surgeons and chasing prescriptions. Or I can just live with it and be miserable. No, you've got a third option. The question is, do you see it? Unseen options are the result of, number two, your current focus. What matters to you right now? The reason God could reveal a previously unseen option to Joseph was because, as verse 19 says, Joseph was in the right place. Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph Joseph was faithful to the law. That's why God revealed the third option. The foundation had already been built, and Joseph built it. Maybe this is not the most wonderful time of the year for you. Maybe it's the worst time of year for you for some of the reasons that I have described. You hear that song when you walk through the mall? It's the most wonderful time of... And you're thinking, no, no, it's not. (laughs) Right? You know the pain that can be associated with Christmas. It's just a reminder that things aren't the same. You can only see... Two options in your circumstances, and neither one of them is appealing. And for a short time, we can cover up that disappointment and that frustration, but not completely. The people who know us well, they see it. They know it's there. People who love us, they know it exists. I just wanted to encourage you. There's most likely a third option that's previously undiscovered if you can just wait for it. You'll never see it, however, if your current focus is misplaced or you're incapable of staring through the sorrow to see the joy. Again, you might not consider this to be a merry time of the year. Neither did Joseph. Welcome to the club. But that doesn't mean God doesn't have something incredibly special. You just got to wait to see it. 
That's my prayer for you. And that's my celebration of the Christmas story. Because whatever that third option is that was previously unseen, I can promise you, and Joseph will back this up, it's worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for. Let's pray. Father, I'm looking around at folks who believe they only have two options, and they don't like either one of them. God, encourage them to hold on. Give them patience that comes from you. Confidence and courage to outlast the circumstance that they might cash in on the blessing that comes with that third option. I pray all of this with respect in you, for you, with thanksgiving in the name of your son. Amen. Church, God bless you. I hope you make it a fantastic.